Welcome to the Legendarium. Therefore, I have resigned myself to the fact that I will continue to listen to these four sexually awkward men discuss why every woman in the series crosses her arms under her breasts and analyze why that is relevant to anything. In conclusion, I like Cad Swain. <laughs> well, I mean... Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 147 of the Legendarium Podcast. Today is Knife O Dreams, part one. And this is the final Robert Jordan written Wheel of Time book that we will get to talk about, unless we do New Spring someday or something. But not the final bit of his writing that we will read. Uh, what? Oh, did he like write the final epilogue or something? He wrote I, lots of pieces within the final trilogy that the, Sanderson, that Sanderson grabbed. Okay. Most most of the last battle scene. It'll be interesting to see if we can kind of pick out which one's which. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, let's introduce ourselves. I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, like Lan, his face is chiseled from stone. Unfortunately, it was chiseled by Pot and Fane on one of his bad days. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> you are wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited, you guys, for Tarman Gaiden because I'll finally have a chance to feed him to the Dark One. Taint. It's Ken Johnson. Dude, I'm crossing my arms under my breast and pouring out a 40 for Robert Jordan. And he's as useless as Rand's left hand. It's Kyle Lemon. Oh, oh man. <laughs> the golden crane flies for Tarman Gaiden. You can't you can't say anything to me that will hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not true. Uh, now, I want to uh, do a few things. We, we do have, unfortunately, quite a bit of housekeeping, but I think part of it's going to be pretty fun today. Uh, I want to remind everybody, patreon.com slash legendarium, uh, head there to support the show. We really want you to do this, as I've mentioned in a few previous episodes, because we are venturing into video. Ryan and I have uh, have started the process of uh, really uh, digging down into what we want to do with video, what sort of things we want to bring you, and I, I set, sent something out on Reddit, by the way, that's reddit.com slash r slash the legendarium, if you want to go check us out there. I, I set up a thread there so people could kind of uh, let us know what you want to see from video. So if you have ideas, you're welcome to go onto Reddit and let us know, or head to Facebook or Twitter, whatever. Tell us what you want to what you want to see out of a Legendarium video channel on YouTube, and we will do our best to uh, make everybody happy. Um, anyway, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, by the way, I'm halfway done. I think with the first draft of a video essay that I'm writing. Because everyone's so, really excited to go watch something called an essay on video. You know what? Video essays are huge on YouTube. So I'm just catering to it, the it, millennial crowd. But are they huge in Sweden? Yeah, well, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I think it'll be pretty cool. Uh, all right, so now to the fun stuff. We set up a giveaway last time for the Legendarium edition of Crossroads of Twilight. Who's got that book right now? Ryan, is it's that... It's at my house. Okay, so Ryan is currently filling in his marginal notes on that. It's uh, really hard to draw a stick figure in the bottom right-hand corner of every page. <laughs> Are you seriously? Okay. <laughs> Maybe. You don't know. That winner would, will. That would be amazing, <laughs> by the way. Uh, anyway, so the contest was submit your review to iTunes, make it a five-star review, and snark the crap out of it, and uh, and we'll vote on which one is best. We got several... Uh, reviews in now the funny thing is if you go to itunes and check out check out uh, all the entries you can't because our listenership is so worldwide that all their reviews are all spread out into their own editions of itunes and so i can't see most of them <laughs> but i still i still got them they still sent them to me uh and so i have several i whittled it down to the top four and i have not run any of these by the other panelists yet and so I want to tell you guys, I, I'm going to read these to you, and you get to vote on which one is the best. Are you guys ready? All right, phones down, because you're going to want to pay attention to these. These are pretty good. Uh, now, this one is from Mark. Uh, this I think this will be Kyle's favorite. Uh, the title is Good with Pacing Issues, <laughs> and the entire description is The Crossroads of Twilight of Fantasy Podcasts. All right. <laughs> Touche, sir. Uh, Tomas a, sends us a limerick. I assume it's Tomas. Uh, it could be Thomas, but uh, he's, he's... He's a warder. So he's Tomas. Tomas. I'm going with Tomas. A limerick. 
in order to get through Crossroads of Twilight, since this book gives people that huge fright, listen to these guys from Salt Lake City. You know for Craig you'll feel most pity, but the rest will make the read a delight. Well, screw you, Tomas. Uh, <laughs> but that was a good one. I like that. Uh, now, Nick, this one... Actually, I'm going to come back to Nick's. Let's do Ian's first. Uh, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And in his basement, there was a group of guys talking about fantasy books. <laughs> well, excellent mate. line Bravo. excellent line uh the end of his he, he goes on and, and has a few more things but to summarize if you're looking for a literary fantasy podcast that gets in depth into the plot and motivations of the main characters of the book then this is not the podcast for you if however you are prepared to spend an hour or so each week listening to a bunch of guys vainly trying to stick to the point as they waffle on capped at each end by a rather catchy theme tune then allow me to say welcome to the legendarium uh, so very, very good effort on that one, Ian. And then Nick, uh, the title of this one is very good at remembering each other's names. Well, you know what? Screw you too, Nick. Uh, this one. Don't you mean Nate? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, this one says, while some podcasts strive for greatness, the legendarium is content to exist. Indeed, the wow. last, indeed, the last few episodes have been posted. And while these episodes. <laughs> I can't even get through this one. And while these episodes contain more words than the entire Wheel of Time series, four individuals somehow managed to cram more nothingness into an hour than Mr. Jordan could ever dream of with his years of practice. If I didn't have a commute to work, I can't imagine why I would ever listen. The wife and I have discussed moving closer to work in order to remedy our predicament, but the podcast simply isn't important enough to justify such a move. Therefore, I have resigned myself to the fact that I will continue to listen to these four sexually awkward men discuss why every woman in the series crosses her arms under her breasts and analyze why that is relevant to anything. In conclusion, I like Cad Swain. <laughs> well, I mean, that was probably the front runner until that disqualification line at the very no, end. No, that is... I like so, Cad Swain too. You win. Um, do you like that one, Ken? I do like that one. Ryan's nodding his head. That one's yeah, pretty, that good. Was pretty good. That was pretty good. Okay, I think we're all in agreement. It's unanimous. Uh, Nick, excellent, excellent work. Okay. Screw you, though. Good, good job, <laughs> Nate. Um, so uh, thank you to everybody who who entered into this one. The whole point of this was to just get a little bit more traction on iTunes. We needed a few more reviews, and we definitely got that. Uh, but those were kind of the front runners. Those are the ones I thought were the cleverest, and so. I uh, appreciate you guys sending all those in. We really hope that people understand the uh, sarcasm and snarkiness and don't Might. read these as like five star, but they're, <laughs> do you not know how to use the rating system? What's going on here? We, we really hope that those were actually snarky yeah. and tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm really going for just volume here. Like if somebody logs into iTunes and sees these, if they see like five of those in a row, hopefully they get the joke. And if yeah. not, and honestly, who reads the reviews anyway? So I don't know. Maybe somebody does. Should we talk about Knife of Dreams? Eh. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> if anyone's still listening to this episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I'll just, I'll, I will say, Nick, I will get in touch with you and uh, and we'll discuss sending you a legendary version of, what was it called? Crossroads of Twilight. Crossroads. It's already left my memory, honestly. That book doesn't even exist. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, on, on to the book at hand. Spoilers abound, obviously, so if you haven't read Knife Dreams, blah, 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 blah. Okay. The recap on the Wheel of Time wikia reads, Elaine gains the throne of Andor and also manages to root out the Black Aja. What it fails to note is that she does no such thing. Birgitta does it for her, and only after Elaine gets several other Aes Sedai killed because she's worthless. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't, I didn't mind her until now, but now that several people have paid the ultimate price for her utter stupidity, I'm firmly on team. Screw you, Elaine. But on to more important things. The book opens with Galad killing Eamon Valda in a duel for the honor of his supposedly dead mother. Galad is now King of the White Cloaks, or whatever. And he's probably <laughs> going to be nicer about it than the last two guys. Loyal gets married, even though no one really cares because it didn't happen in, like, book two. Mazram Taim is totally one of the Forsaken, or at least a dark friend. Uh, Egwene gets some very good chapters, during which she sows doubt in the White Tower about Elida's rule. As for the brainless band of boys, Rand loses a hand in an ambush set up by Semirag and almost loses his life when Luce Theron seizes the power during a big battle. Perrin finally murders enough Shido, including his romantic rival, 
that they finally head back to the waste and he gets Fael back. Oh joy. The best stuff though is reserved for Matt who finally gets to read Moiraine's letter to Tom, the one from book five. Turns out it was awesome and it turns out she's still alive by the way. And Matt and Tom are going to go rescue her, but not before Matt has some excellent battle scenes and marries Tuan and becomes Prince of the Ravens. And there you have it. And not before at least book 12. I think I covered <laughs> most of the big stuff, right? That was feels yeah. pretty yeah, good. Pretty yeah. well. Okay. All right. So let's discuss. Now, I, I do it, also want to say a big, big, big thank you to everybody on Reddit, the legendarium.reddit.com. We always, or almost always, put a note up there before we record if anybody has any questions or comments. And we usually get, you know, five, ten or something. Forty. We got forty pre-show comments. I didn't even have to prepare anything <laughs> because everybody did my work for me. I didn't even read the book. I just read the, <laughs> just the read Reddit the comments. comments. Like, oh, that happened? Sweet. Rand loses a hand? Which one? <laughs> which by the way you guys get my emoji that i sent you guys now yeah um i don't remember i don't it. yeah it was so long oh. ago that i got you kyle i sent an emoji right after i finished this book i sent the i sent an emoji that was like these so these guys aren't you know i, I was hoping you wouldn't catch on to it or whatever but it was just a fireball and a hand and like a big like a the screaming face like ah! <laughs> <laughs> you're not I, my father except that there's no screaming maybe we can just go ahead and talk about this this was one of the questions on reddit let's uh, talk about Rand's grand hand well you know we could actually what we could do is just pull up um the single where did it go the single note that we got on our you're, website from AU. Your stalling gets better and better each week. Shut up. Hey, Nick. AU here. So, on a scale of Luke Skywalker to Jane Lannister, how well do you think Rand deals with losing his hand? So, on a scale from Luke Skywalker to Jamie Lannister, how well does Rand oh. deal with losing his hand? I gotta say, Rand is oh, kind of please. bugging me a little bit. He uh, he he wasn't even on the scale. The guy rubbed some dirt on it and walked it off. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, was it though? I kind of well, th- I, I I thought it was a little disturbing. A little battle shot. That whole scene was a little disappointing. It's supposed to, me, to but... be though. I mean, where Rand is at right now. I mean, that is the the most real reaction to where he's at right now in my mind. Right. Like yeah. if he loses his hand and all of a sudden started, you know, weeping and found his humanity again, I'd be like. Really? We've we've been yeah. we spent I see what you mean. We've spent three books now uh, with Cad Swain telling us how Rand is becoming a stone. If he had anything other than stoic nonchalance about losing a hand, I probably would be disappointed. The the worst thing about Rand's hand losing and the fact is is that his process, his thought process is not, oh my hand you know, is great, you know, what am I gonna do? Whatever. It's simply oh, now my sword fighting's gonna be <laughs> gonna, gonna suck. Gonna have to relearn <laughs> sword fighting. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was wow. fantastic. I um I I feel like maybe I've talked about this on one of our previous episodes, but one of my greatest fears is the loss of any part of my body, you know, mm-hmm. down to a pinky or something. I yeah. uh that terrifies me. Well, there I was going to pull up the quote from the book. Okay. To kind of nail home Ryan's point. When he loses the hand, Nynaeve's like freaking out, like, "Dude, you just lost a hand." Um and she says to him, "You must be in shock." You've just suffered a grievous injury, Rand. Maybe you'd better lie down. Lord Davram, have one of your men bring a saddle to put him to put his feet up. And Min says, he's not in shock. The bond was full of sadness. She had taken hold of his arm as if to hold him up again. He lost a hand, but there's nothing to do about it. So he's left. Th- he's left it behind already. This is like 45 seconds after he's lost his hand. And he's just like, mm-hmm. well. It's gone. Can't do anything about it. Move on. He is so detached from himself and from reality, really, that he just, there is one goal, Tarman Gaiden, he, yeah, doesn't matter. He's driven to this, and the idea that I'm going to die there, I've got to sacrifice myself and everything at Tarman Gaiden, so who cares if I have a hand when I get there or not? And, it doesn't yeah. matter at all. And I love the exchange between him and uh, and Bashir. And Bashir kind of looks at him and he's like, well, I've seen worse. And Rand's like, yeah, so have I. Guess I'll have to learn the sword all over again. Yeah. And like, that's that's what they think about it. And Nynaeve's like freaking out. Like, dude, he lost a hand. I really, well, Yeah, for I, somebody who's so concerned with healing and all that, yeah, that would be shocking. I really expected a, just a line there of Nynaeve just shakes her head. Men, she says, or something, you know. Tugs on well, her braid. Tugs on her braid, yeah. 
to me, one of the reasons why this is important, and I wish I had the had it in front of me right now, but this throws a wrench into some of the prophecies because it talks about how it uses plural hands in a lot of things. Oh, really? In the prophecies. Do you remember any of the lines from that? That's why I'm saying I wish I had it in front of me. Um, but it, it really, it actually throws a wrench in it. So now we have a problem. Rand has to get another hand or we have to figure out what the prophecy's referring to or it's somebody else who has to do something to make this prophecy, these prophecies true because it specifically refers to hands. Right. Hey, does it does it say something about hands during Tarman Gaiden? Because uh, I'm wondering just because like he's been doing a lot of stuff up till now. Mm. So, well, I mean, um, he has fulfilled several prophecies. Um, obviously, the whole Aaron marks in the palms of his hands and the dragons mm-hmm, on his mm-hmm. on his forearms or whatever those. You know, he's been filling fulfilling pro- prophecies as we've gone along. But um, yeah, it should be interesting to see how this changes because it definitely puts him at a disadvantage. He shall hold a blade of light in his hands, and the three shall be one. And the three, what? The three shall be one? I don't know that's, what that that's means. The line of the pro- that's the main line of the prophecy that it's dealing with here. Although, he's, I, he's already wait, held is there a blade any more of light context? in his hands. Is there any this more context at, to Well, that? I can, I'll pull up the whole thing here. Okay. Um, da, 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 let's see if I can find the... He's, yeah, your stalling is getting better and better. With <laughs> I never episode. said it was good. I... Touche. <laughs> he, technically, he's already held a blade of light in his hands. So, I mean, that part of the prophecy is probably This is specifically fulfilled. referring to Tarman Gaiden, though. Oh, now okay. I can't find yeah. the full thing. Anyway, I'll look for it and see if maybe I'll the, post the, something. The three. So, this brings up a question um, that it says the three shall be one or whatever. Um, there are like three people in his head now him, Luce Theron, and some face. Mm-hmm. I kind of glossed over that I, it barely registered yeah. and i didn't know what was going on there um it, did anybody else catch any info in this book yeah about it, it what actually that is? says who it is or ran recognizes the face as the man that saved him oh that's Shire right Logan. he does that's right he I mark that. i don't i can't pull it up that quickly oh, but okay i have it in here somewhere where he he recognizes it as in the in the cross the streams scene yes yeah. okay so he recognizes it as the face of the man that saved him in shadar logoth and they Cross Bellfire. Which we know is Moradin, right? Wasn't that who... Yeah. Interesting. So he's seeing Moradin in his his head. And this was... Now Moradin, if Moradin is in fact... uh, He's Ishamael. Then that was happening through the first three books as well. Ishamael was constantly in... Like in Rand's dreams and stuff, he was right. totally in dreams, invading Rand's mind. It seemed mm-hmm. the difference, though, I would be would be the fact that he's awake. In yeah, in dreams, it's they we learn about uh, Teleron Riod, and he can and you right. can interact with people's dreams that way. This situation is flashes in the waking world and everything, so there's a different connection here than that one. I would say right. Okay. Shamael and Tel- and uh, Luz Theron had, uh, I mean, they were connected, right? So it's really if he's Loose Theron and becoming mm, loose. I don't know that we know that they're connected. We know that they were they adversaries. Had, yeah, they had their moment in the prologue, right? And yeah, the very first prologue. But we don't know that they it. were connected in a way similar to what's happening right I now. I think I was just assuming. I yeah. don't. Yeah, but I, I figured that probably could be the connection I mean, now between Morden and Rand and Ishamael and Loose Theron. I mean, it hits on yeah. one of the one of the Reddit questions. I can't remember which one it was, but it was asking about. Who the you know the wheel of time the whole universe has this balance and counterbalance and whatever and and who would the counterbalances be to our three main heroes that was one of the questions in the thread and right to ask us like who we thought like who's the counterbalance to Rand who's the counterbalance to Perrin who's the counterbalance to Matt Ishamael is clearly the the counterbalance to yeah. Rand's dragon you know the dragon so Rand or Luz Theron or so, whichever iteration you want to say between. Ishamael or Morden or whoever else is reborn with that persona. Yeah. And then Rand and Luce Theron. And so there's always the dragon and the Nablus, I the guess. Anti dragon. Anti dragon. Let me so let me take this on a slightly different tack then, uh, because that brings up who is Mazarum Taim? Because uh, at the end of the book, oh, yeah. when the Red Sisters enter the chamber and he's sitting on a throne and he's wearing this black coat. 
I think it's black. And it's yeah. embroidered on the sleeves with a dragon with design dragon sleeves, yeah. coming up the sleeves, right? And so it's this very uh, unsubtle effort on his part to set himself up as a rival dragon, right? Right. And so who is that if it's not Ishamael? Uh, who do you think it is? Um, It would... Uh, would it be because in the intro you said he's definitely a forsaken or at least a dark friend well right he's not I, I guess I shouldn't say he's definitely a dark friend because he uses the phrase let the lord of chaos rule the only time we've ever heard that is when uh, the dark one says it to all the chosen right uh, in their right. instruction and so that implies that it's probably a forsaken but they some one of them could have repeated the phrase to a high-ranking dark friend at some point so it doesn't prove to me that he's one of the forsaken but it does suggest strongly that he's at least a dark friend so i don't i i couldn't call who he is what's the name of the archangel of death uh jewish mythology Bilal? no uh samael oh samael that's right samael around still no and you've got to realize the timing of mazram taim is Mazram Taim has been he's he was a false dragon before Rand all of that so right. before the Black Tower everything and all of the Forsaken were around when Mazram Taim was a false dragon yeah were they were around oh I see so they were around he's, and causing mischief so he's, I see yeah. I don't think uh, there's a couple reasons why I don't think that he can be one of the Forsaken in themselves yeah and it one of that is the fact the, that he, he existed before match. they started killing off Forsaken yeah. and then um, the other thing is you had another Forsaken dealings you know other forsaken dealings that um when um however uh, the uh, one who attacked rand in the tower Bilal. no when they tried to kill uh, they tried to blow up the tower at the end of oh, oh, oh like uh, two three books ago yeah uh starts with a d <laughs> there's so many names no it was uh no do you know what i'm talking about it's it's like we we had the or it's like after the cleansing of sidene or no it was before that um we had this big epic moment and then the end that someone tried to assassinate Rand by blowing up a portion of it and it, it was um it was his closest ashaman it starts with a d dashiva dashiva thank you Corlan dashiva mm-hmm. well but to that point cuz i agree with you like mazram time was around before any of the forsaken were loose um mm-hmm. but what's to stop one of the forsaken from assuming his name and appearance. So like we just saw that in this book where oh, yeah. Semarag was like posing as Tuan or we see like all of the Forsaken have done some kind of mask of mirrors or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I agree to your point that I don't think that Mazram time that we see now could be the same. Like it couldn't be the same Mazram time and still be a Forsaken but it could potentially be a Forsaken who has killed Mazram Time and assumed the persona. That's, That's good, That true. is a very good point. I always just assumed that Mazram Time was, uh, was a dark friend with chosen envy. I mean, he just, he wants to be... Chosen envy or Rand envy? Uh, maybe a little I both. Think, yeah. I mean, so my, my thought would be he's, he was a, a false dragon. Yeah. He's, uh, you don't do that if you don't have some sort of uh, lust for power uh, to he, some degree. Clearly, he clearly always has. And obviously yeah. he does, but uh, so that would make him easily uh, manipulated by one of the chosen. Mm-hmm. And so high-ranking dark friend, I'm I'm so putting my flag so in on that. Yeah, so it's either high-ranking dark friend or if he is one of the chosen, he's got to be Demondred, right? I guess. Because he's the only other... The we only haven't one. heard much about Demondred. He's just kind of floating out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what pra what how do you say it, Pranavra, on Reddit. That's on what Reddit. he said. He said it was Demondred. That's what he thinks. But I yeah, I'm still gonna yeah, go with because Demondred shows up like once every three or four books and then a prologue or an epilogue and is in some kind of dark friend or or chosen council. And well, and like, he really, what are you doing? You're doing. We don't know what Demondred's doing. And, and then, he really yeah, he really doesn't do anything gone. other than so, show up and talk a little but, bit and then disappear again. But he's got to be up to stuff because. He's always been touted as one of the most formidable. Yeah. And he shows up just often enough to be like, what's that guy up to? Okay. Uh, What we can do, obviously, we have lots more Reddit stuff to cover. But uh, before we do that, do you guys have any bullet points that you would like to bring up? Stuff you want to talk about? Go ahead, Kyle. I do. Um, So going back to seeing 
Morden in his head with the colors and or not the colors with the face that he sees. Yeah. The colors are a whole different thing That's, I want to talk yeah. about later, but um I wanted to point out something that I noticed while reading through the scene of Rand losing his hand. So Samarog tosses the fireball at him or whatever and he can't can't dodge because he doesn't want Min to get hurt. So that's the whole reason he like puts up his hand and gets hurt in the first place. Stupid Min. Anyway. <sighs> um so it says right after that, that scene is where as soon as the fireball hits his hand and it explodes, it says the world seemed to explode in fire. And it says his cheek was pressed against the damp ground, he realized. Black flecks shimmered in his vision. Yeah, I yeah. That Everything too. seemed faintly hazy as if seen through water. And then on the next page, when Nynaeve is healing his hand and it, it describes his hand like kind of not growing back, but like where the skin like oozes yeah, down over. and folds over and whatever. And she says, this is Nynaeve. Um, I'm so sorry, Nynaeve said again. Let me delve you for any other injuries. She asked, but did not wait, of course. She reached up to cup his head in, his, in her, between her hands and a chill ran through him. There's something wrong with your eyes, she said with a frown. I'm afraid trying to fix them, whatever. And she talk, keeps going on for a minute. And then Rand says, I can see fine, he lied. The black flecks were gone. So it mentions that there's black flecks in his vision twice within like a page and a half. Right. And Nynaeve yeah. has spotted that. She said, there's something wrong with your eyes. She can see the same thing. So I just thought I would point that out i'm sure you got some of you guys caught it while you're reading but mm -hmm. thoughts yeah i did i caught that and i thought well the easy answer was well yeah he just got his bell rung and you know got fire shot at him so of course he's gonna see black flecks but knowing what the saw is and seeing how morden how it affects morden suddenly you you have to think well had, is that what he's being affected by? But how? Well, how so would, how okay, would that be a couple, the case? couple of possibilities in my mind. One would be that Semirag, when she throws the fireball at him, she's attacking him with the, and let's see if I've got this, the true power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Dark One's power. So it's possible that she's attacking him with that so that when he does get hit by it and loses his hand, it kind of shocks his system with a dose of the true power. Now, that's one possibility. The other that... Uh, that occurs to me is that possibly the blow weakened him enough that this weird kind of psychic connection that Morden has established with him uh, is suddenly much, much stronger or Rand's psyche is much weaker and that allows Morden's personality or, or whatever his psyche to come through and that uh, messes with Rand in that way. Maybe something like that. That's a good one. So, I'm, more along the lines, my my thoughts have always been, or for have always been that the Dark One is not trying to kill Rand outside of a few things, a few events. The Forsaken yeah. are. He wants him as a tool, right? He wants to turn him and make him his champion. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the Dark One was trying to find opportunities through whatever through those moments like you talked about to maybe let Rand have a taste and find out that there's something else there and just feed a little bit into him and slowly just drop by drop let him feel what it is to use the true power so that one time he decides I'll try it out and then he becomes a champion for the Dark Lord. All right. I think that actually has a lot of, makes a lot of sense because when they describe the true power and how even the Forsaken are kind of uh, hesitant to use it um, and they, they all think that Ishamael or even Morden are, are just like crazy for using it the amount, you know, for the amount that he does because they describe it as being basically a thousand times more addictive than the one power. Right. And we've seen throughout the course of the series how addictive that's supposed to be. Right. That it's like this crazy heightened senses, super addictive. Yeah. So times that by a thousand. And so if Rand's getting small doses of that, he's basically you know, starting to be, could, could potentially become an addict to that. Right. Okay. I don't know what else to say on the subject. Nope, that was it. I you just guys good? bring that quote out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have something from, uh, Vroxilla. I don't know what that means, but it's a Reddit <laughs> user. 
And uh, Vroxilla asks, what do you think of Aram's betrayal of Perrin? Um, there, there are a few questions here, so maybe we'll make our way through one by one. I thought that was a very anticlimactic scene. Uh, it, but it, it, because it was just over very, very quickly. There wasn't a lot of chance for discussion between him and Perrin, which did feel a little more real. But at the same time, I, I hate Aram and I hate <laughs> Perrin. And so yeah. I was kind of interested in that discussion. Um, but anyway, I thought it was at the same time very illustrative. I, I like Aram's character in that he he is very much like Perrin. And he's he's simply gone down a darker path uh, ish. Not that much darker, honestly. Debatable. So Aram is extremely, you might call him extremely loyal. I would call him extremely obsessive. Mm, and, and so, yeah, a fanatic. That's a good word for it. So he is fanatical about his, I uh, assume he was a fanatic about his upbringing. And then when he latches onto Perrin, he really latches onto Perrin and, and Fail. And then when, uh, th- this is a very manipulatable character, if that's a word. And that means that when he comes in contact with the prophet, this person who is also fanatical, but also has uh, oodles and oodles of charisma that he's able to, you know, uh, corrupt Aram further and mm-hmm. turn yeah. him against Perrin, right? So I see Perrin in that because Perrin, he's also, you might describe him as loyal and steady and all this stuff. And then suddenly Fael enters the picture and what does he become? Obsessive. Mm-hmm. And disturbingly so, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And so to to the point where there were a couple of moments in this book, I don't know if I can find it quickly enough, uh, but there were a couple of moments where uh, Perrin would say something, I'd, I'd be like, dude, you are a straight up dick. <laughs> like, it, there was the part yeah. where the guy bursts into Beatles and it was completely disgusting and it's disturbed everyone else around him. And all parents. And he yeah. says, he literally says, nothing else matters but Fail. Like, I get it. You want your wife back. I would too. That's fine. Dude just exploded into Beatles. Take a moment. Process Beetlejuice what say just... Beetlejuice three times. <laughs> <laughs> process what just happened. I, I, just got so frustrated so anyway uh so much for making our way through these points quickly but i i did think that aram was maybe a uh a, a cautionary tale for the, perrin the thing that i did not like about that scene i actually liked that it was kind of over quickly because it was just like yeah whatever but i don't like that jordan kind of bailed perrin out Yes, this yeah. is my biggest complaint yeah. with it. So yep. so Aram took two arrows in the back from the Shido Aiel, and that's right. how he died. Perrin didn't have to put him down, essentially. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing that I didn't like. I was okay that it was over quickly. Like you said, it paints more of a realistic scenario or picture. I thought it was interesting that to see the way that um, Masima had manipulated him was playing off of his loyalty and obsessiveness of Fail. And he convinced him that that Perrin is shadow spawn because of his golden eyes and all of that. And he says that, that Aram's justification for killing Perrin was, I have to save Fael from you. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because I do think it actually kind of, you know, nails down your point as well that Perrin and Aram are kind of the same. And Perrin is obsessive over Fael. And you could argue maybe somebody should save Fael from Perrin and his obsessiveness because he'll obsess to the point of having an alliance with the Shan Chen and nothing else matters but Fael. What happens when Tarman Gaiden comes around and it's the fate of the world versus Fael? Yeah, there's yeah. somebody mentions... I, I actually think this was on a previous Reddit thread for a previous episode and somebody spoiled this thing and everybody got pissed at him and downvoted them into oh, yeah. oblivion, but... They mentioned that, what do you think of the fact that Perrin handed over like 200 Shido wise ones to mm-hmm. be collared by the Shan Chan? Like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty abominable. Yeah, there's in their world. Yeah, you know some I mean? somebody, uh, I, I think it was, um, 
it was Pravnadnevro, whatever I think it was. That guy who said um, that this book is where parent, or it's it's not this book. It's because of there it is. Uh, Fail is actually the focal point of the action in Gildon, and her disappearance molds Perrin into the badass he is at the end of Book Eleven. Agree or disagree? I disagree. I well, also disagree, which is hard to say because I like Perrin bad, really up until the badass last. Badass is badass is fine, but I think asshole is the more apt description <laughs> of what Perrin becomes. So anyway, I disagree for a different reason. Okay, go ahead. Um. Mainly because it is not her disappearance. It, this is a little bit of semantics, but it's not her disappearance that changes Perrin. It's her appearance. It's no. It's everything that he does to get her back. Mm. Yeah, that changes him. The decisions he makes through that process, and the fact that he's having to make choices that at the beginning of this series, Perrin is Perrin is your most simple character in terms of right and wrong. And he's having to make more difficult choices, and he's doing it with a weight behind it, which is the biggest value to Fael is she puts weight to his choices like a millstone um so i mean if you want to just say the whole adventure of her being gone and what Perrin goes through changes him yes you're right there but her not being there doesn't change him he doesn't realize anything like oh when she's not here i'm less of a man or anything he he figures things out on his own there as he's going through until she shows up uh, until he's able to save her which took how many books oh gosh three four three Three or four books. I think she gets captured at the end of... I think it's the end of eight. Which I mm-hmm. I do appreciate the attempts, like the the writing that was done about Fael in the camps that she was actively doing things. She wasn't a damsel in distress waiting to be saved. She's never been that character anyway. Um, but in all of the writings about her, she is consistently saying, I hope I can get do this before Perrin shows up. Mainly... A lot of some of it being concerned for Perrin, knowing that if he does come in, he's probably going to get killed by all these Shido here, and he's probably just going to rush in bullheadedly. Um, so she tries to figure things out, and I think that the time we spend with Fael in these camps is probably the the most intriguing that she as a character has been um, to follow yeah. that. And yeah, so, I, I agree with that. Somebody mentioned on Reddit that Fael is actually pretty interesting when she's on her own. And mm-hmm. you, you don't notice, like, you don't hate her when she's not with Perrin because she's not doing awful things to Perrin. I've said it a million times. That... Fael herself is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's the way that Perrin reacts to Fael, especially in the earlier books, that makes everybody, at least in my mind, that makes everybody rag on Fael so bad. It's because it's like, if Fael weren't here, then Perrin might not be such a emo, whiny, whiner. They're a terrible power couple. Yeah. That's Yeah, that's but, exactly uh, the takeaway I took from but this But she in and of herself, is kind of a badass. Right. Well, let's talk about another female character that uh, everybody seems to love to hate and that I didn't quite understand until now why that was. <laughs> That's Elaine. So she's an idiot. <laughs> Thoughts? Help me remember there why she's an idiot here. She's an idiot because she... Okay, so the climactic scene for Elaine is when she finds out... So She's got this guy, the captain of her guard... Who she knows at this point he is, uh, shady. Maybe fellow. he's a shady fellow. Maybe mm. not a dark friend, although I think he is. Mm-hmm. But he's at least a shady fellow, and so she's having him followed, and all these people who are following him end up getting killed, and so finally it works. She sends one last guy after him, and it works, and he comes back, and he says, "Oh, that captain of the guard, he's meeting with a bunch of Black Aja sisters," and and she's like, "Ha ha, I've." Finally got them. Finally cracked it. And so she rounds up like, I want to say three other Aes Sedai. There's four of them. And uh, and they get all their warders and a few guard people with Brigitte. And they go to this house where they're all staying. And Brigitte says, hey, I'm going with you. And Elaine says, no, no, it's, it's, uh, this is, this is Aes Sedai business. Let's leave all of our warders in the stables. Yeah, piss off people who are supposed to protect us. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she goes in the house and they get ambushed and everybody dies. All three Aes Sedai die and Elaine doesn't. And then and then there's a simultaneous attack on the city by the the uh, rivals to the throne. Mm-hmm. And so Brigida has to like balance saving Elaine with saving the city and she does it and, you know, everything works out well 
for Brigida. Under the command of Banner General Dialin? What? <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Elaine is just, you, you want to talk about bullheaded foolishness. Elaine is the stupidest person in this book by quite a ways. Um, not by quite a ways. I think, I, I, I think Elida gives her a good run for her money. One of the most annoying things about this, and I'm hoping I'm in the right spot, is oh boy, the fact that she ha- she is so overconfident because of Min's viewing about her children being yes. right. Okay, so she's like, it's fine. I mean, I can do whatever. My Min's already seen that my kids are going to be fine, and that's so. It I'm okay to go in with that, and I I think it's that overconfidence. Um, I I saw the thought going through your head. Your faith in your friends is yours. <laughs> yep. Uh, that is what makes me most annoyed by her and why I think the decisions she makes are pretty stupid. But yeah. as a whole, I, other than the fact that I'm generally tuned out of her story at this point right now, just because I don't care about her taking over the, the throne. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't think she's a complete idiot. Um, I think based on what they know about Black Aja and their previous experience, I wouldn't have expected more than, you know, maybe one or two at best. And you would probably expect to be able to handle that with right. three or four. And the fact that she ends up really screwing the pooch on it is just overconfidence and lack of information. And yeah. selfish. Because so, I think, yeah. I think, so yeah. selfish. I think yeah. going with, going with your point to men's viewing, Oh, my children are going to be fine. That means I'm basically invincible cheat code mm-hmm. god mode right now. <laughs> right. Up, up, down, down, left, That right, doesn't left, right, mean A-B-A. that the three Aes Sedai going with you have that same protection, mm-hmm. you know? So right. it's kind of like you're just not fully realizing the gravity of your situation. You're basically saying, I'm okay, so everybody well, with me should be okay. And well, it, and yeah. go ahead, Ken. I was saying, and it... Does, it means you can't get killed or can't be killed. It doesn't mean you can't be captured. Doesn't mean you can't be made to suffer. Doesn't mean you mm-hmm. can't cause. Well, case in point, the the three Aes Sedai, but even bigger, you know, the entire city of Camelin and the the uh, Lo- kingdom and of Andor. And, yeah, yeah. Well, you, they can't suffer because of your you know stupid rash decisions. Well, and it's and it's she needs to make the decision to be like if if her goal right now is the throne of Andor. She needs to allow Aes Sedai to handle the Aes Sedai things, especially in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. She needs to understand, okay, maybe nothing's going to happen to me, but I am essentially, even though I haven't taken the throne yet, a figurehead of the nation. And so that's not a great place to put myself. The, the general is not the soldier. So, exactly. Basically. Based on all this, why do you think then Robert Jordan felt it important to write her into this this way i think it's i case. think it's so that she learns because i like, think this what is, is she going to learn what's i going think to... this is the lesson she'll learn the general is not the soldier that she doesn't need to be the one to do everything that it's okay to trust you know somebody else for on certain on certain tasks and also that she's going to need to be able to divide what is Elaine, Queen of Andor stuff, and what is Elaine, Aes Sedai of the Green Aja stuff, yep. and how do you balance that? Where is it that you devote your time and energy and things like that without jeopardizing one or the other, or abusing that power? So there was a there was a quote in there. I can't remember what she was saying, but I think it's when they when all of the other, uh, all of the other lords and ladies that don't support her right now come in at the very very end, right before they. Say like, oh, we pledge ourselves to Trakhan or whatever, and they they want to talk about the Borderlanders that are at the doorstep of Andor or whatever, and she says something along the lines of, oh, well, I told them that they could cross Andor, and one of the ladies freaks out and says, you did what? You're you know you just said that you're not, you know, you're not the queen yet. So what makes you think that you have the right to tell these foreign armies to cross our our borders and enter our enter enter our nation? And Elaine says, well, I didn't tell them as the queen. I told them as Elaine Aes Sedai of the Green Aja. And so it's like, eh, that's one of those where yeah. you're you're kind of abusing one power to serve the other. Right. So th- that's the lesson I think she needs to learn is where those bo- or where those boundaries are and how to kind of handle that. Yeah. The other thing that I the other piece of this specific scene that I think is worthwhile is we all love Birgitta. She's great. This increased her value another five, ten points. Simply her pure dedication as a warder 
to Elaine just made me that much more connected to her and appreciate her that much more and what she does. And the fact that, you know, it's the Black Aja, it's Dark Friends, there's a whole group she's going up against and she's like, yeah, she's not a nice to die, but she's going to go for it anyway. Like mm-hmm. that, I I love Birgitta for that. Duly noted. I can get behind that. Um, who else has a point they want to bring up? What do you want to talk about? I got so many. There were so many wow moments in this book. I'm like, well, uh, then bring one up. Well, let me think here. Um, two two little ones I have. Uh, how about? Well, actually, this one's maybe not as little as it uh, seems at first. How about Arangar getting out of uh, town before just ahead of the mob when uh, it, when uh, Narishima shows up at the White mm-hmm. Tower and says, "Hey, we want to we want to bond. Uh, we want we want I Ashaman." To bond war or to bond oh, uh, Aes Sedai. being Halima. Halima. Yes. Okay. Being Halima. And as, as he's there, he says, well, somebody's channeling and they're channeling Sidene, who is, and all of a sudden the, they all realize, wait a second. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the rebels, I said, I realized we'd heard talk of a woman who can channel Sidene or some, or we thought about it, but that's impossible. But well, maybe not mm-hmm. finally realizing, sorry, that finally realizing that, that uh, it's Halima and what's her name? And and uh, you know, going to find her, they're nowhere to be found. Although they were to be found, you know, scurrying away just beforehand, and nobody thought that was weird. Nobody. Thought, so I didn't follow the thread of logic when they figured out that it was Halima. Mm-hmm. I I. So what's it, who's the who's the Aes Sedai that Halima has been badgering this whole time that she's I supposed to be like the lady's maid, but she's basically like. I thought she was telling a, her what maid. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. um. She's in the middle of that whole sitting of the hall. Okay. And the the question starts to come up and she leaves because it's not a formal sitting. And there's a there was some whatever random Aes Sedai number fifteen hundred um says something about like, well, why would she leave? This is like, you know what I mean? And makes a very you know, comment in passing, why is she leaving? So she leaves the hall yeah. and basically goes and tells Alima, we gotta get out of here. okay and then that's kind of what happened so like what ken was saying so yeah kind of a cool moment like but now we know that um arangar is no longer infiltrated within the rebels and who knows what's going on right so and and it would begs the question where is she going to show up you know next where who knows where she'll so i want to talk about the Aes Sedai a little bit uh because there's a scene in which Satella Anan, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's had kind of a mysterious past, but she seems to know a lot about how the White Tower works and and uh, all the, the workings of the Ajas and whatnot. And so we're left wondering, who is this person? Was she kicked out of the tower as a novice or whatever? Well, um, there's a, a scene. She says, I said I... Ex- it, I said I expect that when certain things happen, the woman will go away decently and die soon after. I went away, but Jasper found me half-starved and sick on the streets. So, to me, this is confirmation that she was, in fact, uh, well, I don't know about I said I, but she was in the tower and was stilled. Mm-hmm. I want, Or burnt out. Yeah, that was my question. Yep. Something had happened. She was either stilled or burnt out. I would say burnt out would probably be more likely. I guess that's... Simply because I think if those she were... synonyms st- in my mind. Yeah, if she were stilled some Aes Sedai would know right. because that doesn't happen that often. Good point. Don't but they it, have a don't they have a tendency to execute those who they still to? So Um depends. No, not necessarily. They so, seem to be connected generally by crime, but I wouldn't say that you would guarantee to be executed after being stilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but yeah, burnt out seems more, it seems more likely, likely because I think it the reason that they think that the woman would go off and decently die is because it makes other Aes Sedai uncomfortable to be around somebody who's lost access to the power. Right. So she needs some other purpose to fill her life because she's been uh, burnt out, mm-hmm. presumed burnt out. And so her purpose is now kind of gathering other women in, is it Ebudar? And yeah. Uh-huh. When and she was and like helping with, them get to the kin. And, yeah. yeah. Now, do, I wonder if she, like, no, the kin are pretty old. So she probably wouldn't have founded the kin. Although I don't know. we don't know how old she is either. Exactly. Yeah, people are living pretty long when they're not uh, stuck to that frigging oath rod. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, the reason I bring this up is because 
as we've discussed as we've discussed many times on the podcast and as you know how i feel i hate the Aes Sedai organization i i think they're totally old republic jedi and they are not <laughs> worthy of their power and i i hate them and this is one of the reasons that i like Egwene's character so much because what she's doing is shaking everything up and so I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes with her at the helm if we get to see much uh i don't i don't know how much we'll get to see but she does seem to understand maybe just by virtue of her youth and her hot-headedness but she grasps maybe uh on a sub uh, on a subconscious level that just because it's the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the right way necessarily Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the first person who will say that tradition is extremely valuable and that age is valuable on its own and you know and, and so you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater necessarily uh, in your quest for change but at the same time I I do recognize a a sclerotic organization when I see one so it was interesting cuz uh Satella Anand said something very similar to Tuan like basically verbatim of what you just said because Tuan was saying something along the lines of, um, I something some difference between Shan Chen culture and and this side of the world's culture, and yeah. and Satella Anan said, or no, Tuan said something about like just because something is and has been for a long time doesn't mean that that's the way that it should be. Right. And she says back to Tuan, well, a lot of people would you know would say, say that, that same you. thing about you, um, and. Tuan, this was during Tuan's point of view chapter, which was fantastic. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I just thought that was interesting that you brought that up because she says basically those same, that same idea in the book. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we're coming up on our last couple of minutes. Why don't we do uh, any final thoughts you have for now and then we'll break. And there's a million more Reddit questions to get through uh, for next time. But uh, uh, what do you guys want to talk about finishing up this episode? Ryan? So there is a brief moment in a scene with Perrin and the Banner General of the Shanchan, uh, General Tai Lee. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to read through this, and then I'll ask my question here. Uh, let's see. Uh, suddenly the breeze was a gale howling. Uh, or sorry. I thought, uh, yeah. Suddenly the breeze was a gale howling in the opposite direction, pelting them with grit, blowing so hard that he had, he had to cling to his saddle to keep from being knocked out of it. His coat seemed on the point of being ripped from his body. Where had the grit come from? The forest was carpeted inch, inches deep with dead leaves. The tempest stank of burned sulfur, too, sharp enough to burn Perrin's nose. The horses tossed their heads and mouths open, but the roar of the wind uh, buried their, their frightened whinnies. Only moments the ferocious wind lasted, and then as suddenly as it came, it was gone, leaving only the breeze blowing the other way. At the beginning of every book, there's wind. There is a wind that blows, and it goes to someplace in the story something that's going to happen. This is the first time, like, is this the wind from the beginning? Is this, is there a creator's hand? Is there some sort of something going on with this wind? Because it was not, it, we've never seen something like this before that I'm aware of. It's the first time I've caught on something and went, well, it's blowing the opposite direction of the normal wind. Yeah, yeah. It came in and it blew a big furious thing and there was nothing describing it before. There's no Aes Sedai action. There's no Ashaman that I'm aware of that are doing anything to cause this. And even then they have to work within some sort of natural bounds and alter the weather. Right. So what was this wind? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it stands to reason that it's dark one activity. It uh, carries a scent of sulfur, which suggests volcanic activity well dragon mount is volcanic exactly so that's why i'm sitting here is this the wind that blows at the beginning of every book because it it's usually starts from dragon mount and blows down and this is the first time i've seen it actually interact with our characters enough where we would identify it and be like i don't think it usually starts from dragon mount necessarily i think it mentioned that in this one that a, a wind came rushing down from dragon mount uh, okay. but I, I i don't recall that being a feature of the beginning of uh, most or even any other books, but I'm not I'd, sure about that. So, I I, am, I think it is, but I I would have to go back and actually and read the first few paragraphs brag, of every book. So, brag, bragging rights. Here we go. Somebody hop on Reddit and let us know who's right. So, uh, okay. I I don't know what what else do you want to talk about with that scene? Just well, uh, just who that is, what we think it is. It's just mainly just that is a very 
poignant thing that kind of gets thrown in the middle of a bigger scene, or it may not be poignant, it could be just a red herring that means nothing, but to me, in other fantasy series that we've read and other things we've always, we tend to see this sort of creator's <laughs> hand that yeah. ends up being yeah. a wind or something that happens, well, and that's why I'm sitting here going, red flag, that that stands For out. sure. I'm, I'm torn between two points of view. First is that Robert Jordan really knew his stuff when it came to uh, ancient mythology and symbolism and whatnot, and he knew that the wind is often um, uh, is often used as uh, the projection of deity, right? Mm -hmm. And so he very well could have been using this. Now, on the other hand, it, it's I'm tempted usually to say, well, an author's not going to waste like a whole paragraph or two describing Perrin almost getting torn from the saddle by this wind if it's just a red herring. They don't have the space for that. Uh, I don't extend that to Robert Jordan so much. Uh, I think he would be perfectly willing to waste some space uh, based on the last four books. But uh, I don't know for sure. So what do you think, Kyle? Well, um, I guess I, I should ask Ken since he hasn't read these. I seriously have nothing yeah, on the I mean, wind. Okay. I kind of really chalked don't. it up to a similar type of effect from like a bubble of evil. But okay. it obviously wasn't as like you know, face cards are coming to life and trying to chop off your face. <laughs> that was but, so weird. <laughs> but but that's kind of what I thought was kind of more of a, not necessarily creator's hand, but maybe dark one's hand, or even just, I don't know, it could be either one, I guess. But yeah. I didn't, honestly, I, honestly, I missed it. Um, So this is kind of the first that I'm really like, noticing it. Noticing it as yeah. Ryan's, but I, but I think Ryan makes a pretty valid point and I could very well see it being some, subtle way that jordan's like hey here you go you yeah, know? yeah yeah windy windy <laughs> everyone knows it's windy no <laughs> it could be and it this could potentially be a lost plot point like robert jordan was was going, going to, to do, do something. something with it and yeah. it never it becomes a point that sanderson says don't have time mm. for that yeah toss that to the side Nobody like, got time for that. like the wind it blew away all right. Well, let's let's go ahead and call it for today. Um, we've got a whole other episode to get through. I'm I'm getting a lot of comments these days, like, "Oh, Knife of Dreams sure is packed. Are you going to do three episodes?" Well, no. <laughs> I am determined that we will only do two episodes per book. However, we are also being asked a lot: Are we going to do a Robert Jordan retrospective? And I think the answer to that is yes. We will do uh, a little. I think we did something at the end of book five, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. A, and, a and so this would be a good time to go do another one of those and just say, okay, let's take stock of where we are and discuss Robert Jordan as an author and what he's done, what he's built, because we are, in a sense, leaving him behind. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, Sanderson kept some of his writing, but um, but yeah, we are moving on to somebody else finishing the story. So this would be a good chance to do it. So there will be another Knife of Dreams episode, and then at some point, probably later in September, uh, we will release a, a Robert Jordan retrospective. Mm -hmm. So, look forward can, to that. Can I give you one quick funny moment before we sign off? Uh, yes. It was a quote, and this is kind of a Robert Jordan sense of humor, and I laughed out loud, and my wife was sleeping, and she's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, I thought it was hilarious, but this is when Min and Rand hear that um, they're gonna they're about to go and meet with fake Tuan. Oh right. Um, and Bashir tells them like, "Oh, you can bring this many channelers, you know, this many women that can channel, or this many men that can channel, or whatever, and you can bring one more, one extra person to even out the guard." And he immediately, you know, Min looks at him and he immediately says, "No, you can't." And Min says, "We'll talk oh, about yeah. it." And Jordan's comment was, well, you know, it's Rand thinking in his head, but this is Jordan. Min says, we'll talk about it. And then he says, the most dire words a woman can say, short of, I'm going We're to kill, kill you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. So I thought we'd, we have been asked several times, like, oh, what was funny? Or what was, you know, we get pretty critical. What was a lighter yeah, yeah. moment? So I would mark that one down for us. Yeah. And I've answered our question about the wind. You are correct. The Dragon Mount is not its origin point in every story. 
Okay. I've got one that's Arth Ocean, one that's the Runin Hills. So I actually want someone to go back and reread these because I'm not doing it right now. And <laughs> where do all the winds come from? And say, well, not where do all the winds come from? And find Chicago. if they get referenced in that story when they're in that point or, 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 you know, what point in the book is referenced by that wind? Does it show up later oh, in each see. story? I see. Okay. So someone have fun doing that because I'm not doing it right I now. Don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think that most of the time he's simply doing that opening paragraph as a, a table setter. I, I, I described in our yeah. very, very first Wheel of Time episode how you're kind of like flying over that Middle Earth map and mm-hmm. then zooming in on the action uh, I think that's what he's doing. Now, this one might be different because it was so violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see it being different, but I think in previous books, that's all he's doing. But I could be wrong. I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong. Uh, okay, so let's break. And then next time we will heap a ton of praise on this book because, uh, like we said, yes, this uh, there, there's a lot to talk about that, that was positive in this book. So thanks for joining us, everybody patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show and the legendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation we will see you all there thank you so much for listening and uh congratulations one more time to uh nate nick (laughs) (laughs) i was like no dude it's nick uh for winning the contest all right thanks for listening guys we'll see you next time